Beloved and the Lord Jesus Christ, we come this evening in the midst of very challenging circumstances in our culture, in our world. We are pressed about on every side. The Apostle Paul reminds us of this truth himself when he was ministering as a missionary as well. He said at times he was beyond measure. The idea of a nut being squished so tightly, it's pressing out the oils from within. And perhaps you in your own life feel that way at times. Perhaps you as a congregation uh, during times of difficulty and trial feel that way. And as we look in our culture, there are many people who are without hope. They are confused. They are disturbed. They don't know what to think. They don't have a firm foundation upon which to rest. And so tonight I want to take us to a passage in the Old Testament that reminds us of this reality that the church has a sure, unshakable foundation. We confess, and I trust you as a church at times do as well, in the words of the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And it's quite a statement to make by faith. It's another to live in practice. But as Moses, that faithful servant of God in the Old Testament, was finishing his ministry, he had come to the end of this time of being, as it were, the hand of God in the midst of his Old Testament church, uh, the people of Israel, And he was ready to go up to the mountain to be taken to the Lord and to die there and to be buried. But the people were to go into the land of promise. And these are the words here that I want to turn to with you tonight and God helping us meditating upon this from Deuteronomy chapter 33. Deuteronomy 33. And I want to read uh, verses 26 to the end. I'm reading from uh, the King James, but you will find in the previous part of this chapter that Moses has been giving words of encouragement, instruction, even correction at times to each of the tribes that he had been able to serve in his ministry. And now as he surveys the whole, this is what he says to them all. 26, Deuteronomy 33, there is none Like unto the God of Jeshurun, who rideth upon the heaven in thy help and in his excellency on the sky. The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And he shall thrust out the enemy from before thee, and shall say, destroy them. Israel then shall dwell in safety alone. The fountain of Jacob shall be upon a land of corn and wine. Also his heavens shall drop down dew. Happy art thou, O Israel, who is like unto thee, O people, saved by the Lord, the shield of thy help, and who is the sword of thy excellency. And thine enemies shall be found liars unto thee, and thou shalt tread upon their high places." 
Well, the theme I draw from this passage here that's as applicable to us in the New Testament as the church of Jesus Christ as it was to the church of God here as they are ready to enter into the promised land. They had had many and significant promises given to them by God that they would enter the land of promise. Yet as they looked toward themselves, they saw many reasons to be discouraged. Many reasons even within themselves that Moses often had to rebuke them because they were ready to turn around and go back. And so many times we can feel that way personally or as a church. And this is a reminder for us tonight with this theme, his arms are under me or my father's arms are under me. With three things we want to consider. First, the security of what Moses is saying here. Then the sufficiency. And last, the sweetness of this message from our Lord. Moses had witnessed many things. And as he was a messenger of God, God had called him, taking care of the flocks upon the hills. You remember he had been cast out of Egypt, having killed one of the Egyptians. But now God was calling him back and making him an instrument of blessing to the people. And as he is coming back, the Lord will use Moses' hand, if you will, as a hand of blessing, which was really pointing to God's own hand. As he even enters into the courts of Pharaoh, one of the first things he did with the staff in his hand is he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. Children, you remember that. And the magicians of Pharaoh, likewise, threw their rods, staffs on the ground. They became serpents. But the wonderful thing is Moses' serpent ate up all the others and he took it up again and it was a rod. And we begin to see this hand of Moses again and again in the ministry. It's the hand that is raised that parts the Red Sea as they are in the face of difficulty before them and the Egyptians behind them. They cross through the midst of the Red Sea to the other side and Moses again, his arm going down and the waves come crashing on the Egyptians and the song of Miriam and Moses and the lamb is raised in worship. As we look toward that picture, we are seeing the same thing happening in the New Testament. Our Lord himself is the one who with his hand, as it were the hand of God, has dwelt among us. And so this hand of which we are hearing here in this passage, underneath are the everlasting arm is the arm that has ever been present. It is an everlasting surety for his people, for you. Notice the word here, first of all, that Moses uses to describe the children of Israel, the church in the Old Testament. He is saying there is none like the God of Jeshurun. Some of you may have, if you have children, a a pet name for your children, a little name that you've kind of carved out that you alone use for them. Well, Well, this is like that little endearing name that God has given to Israel. Dear, upright people. That's his name of his people here in 
this passage and in other places when you get to the prophets in the New Testament. And, and as you think about that, my dear upright people, here were a people who were rebellious. A people who at times wanted to go back to the garlic and the leek and the onions of Egypt. And yet God, as God does to the church at Corinth, through the mouth of the Apostle Paul says, the saints at Corinth. And so with the same measure of confidence, I can come to Harbor Baptist and I can say, Jeshurun, your God is great, my dear upright people. This is what God is saying to you tonight. Because in reality, your hearts and mine are not different than what we find in the hearts of the children of Israel. If you turn back to the previous chapter, Deuteronomy 32, this name is mentioned also in that chapter. You begin at verse 7. You see here, remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father. He will show you. Your elders and they will tell you. When the Most High divided the nations for their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. Way, way back before even Abraham is called out, if you will, of Ur of the Chaldees, God has in mind his plan. God has in mind his plan for you as a local body, as for his church in the New Testament as well. And notice as you continue on in this chapter, he mentions again the warning in verse 15 after he tells all that God had done for him. When we get to verse 15, he says, But Jeshurun, my dear upright people, waxed fat. They kicked They were grown thick. They're covered with fatness and forsook God that made him and lightly esteemed the rock of their salvation. It's a warning. It was a warning as the children of Israel were going into the land, carrying with them, as it were, these precious promises of God into the days to come. And what I set before you tonight, with God's help, is a precious promise of God to Jeshurun, the church. Underneath you are the everlasting arms. Don't misuse or abuse this glorious promise, this wonderful truth that God is our refuge. This reminder that they were Jeshuan will come back to them even when they would find themselves in times of exile. We read again in Isaiah 44. Hear, O Jacob, my servant in Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord that made you and formed you from the womb, which will help thee. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and you, Jeshuan, whom I have chosen. Dear friends, it's not because of what we have done or are going to do that God is going to demonstrate his faithfulness to us. It's because of who he is and what he's done and what he's going to do. And so Moses here, as he comes to the end of his ministry, 
as he's telling each of the tribes what the Lord will do with them, he comes to the whole and he wants to assure the children of Israel that they would be upheld by God's eternal hand. And it wasn't simply a power. It was a person. There is no God like your God. There were many gods they were going to encounter in Canaan. Gods who eventually would sadly find inroads into the church of the Old Testament. Have the gods of our age found entrance here into this church, into your hearts? I think particularly today, I was trained as a scientist, and so I have no trouble saying it. I think in many respects, many hold up science as being our contemporary God. They bow the knee to science instead of to our God. And so this is a reminder to us when all the world around us is in chaos and confusion. It is the people, the gesturing of the New Testament who ought to be resting firmly and solidly on this confidence. Our God, his eternal arms are under us. This is our security. This is the security of the New Testament believer even today. The Apostle Paul is reminding the New Testament church, you are in Christ seated in heavenly places. Who could touch you? Who could destroy you? Who can remove you from this place in his hand? You are engraven in the palms of his hand. Who could clutch you from the hand of the Almighty? The message of this passage to us tonight is this. Our security is certain. It is sure. God was telling Israel as they were embarking on this warfare into the new land, I am your God. I will bring you through. He says later in Isaiah, O house of Jacob, And all the remnant of the house of Israel, which are carried by me from the belly, which are carried from the womb, even to your old age, I am he. And even to your gray hairs will I carry you. I have made, I will bear, I even I will carry, and I will deliver you. This reminds me, dear friends, of that passage in Jeremiah that that moves me almost every time I think about it. God isn't somehow distantly observing what's taking place in your life or in the church. We know that when Stephen in the early New Testament church was being stoned as a servant of God, bringing the message of God, Jesus arises from his seat at the Father's right hand and he stands and observes what is taking place to receive his servant into his hand. I think of this Old Testament passage in Jeremiah 31. Even when the father of our Lord Jesus Christ needs to discipline his people and even his church, he never forsakes them. 
Instead, it's his heart and language here in Jeremiah 31. He says, is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a pleasant child? For since I spake against him, I do earnestly remember him still. Therefore, my bowels are troubled for him. I will surely have mercy upon him, says the Lord. God is moved in his being, in his heart, when he sees the suffering and challenge that his people face. Even though as a father, he is able and he is willing to remove those things that would perhaps cause them to fall, at time he allows them to continue that they may learn to trust him. What are you struggling with in your life? What is the things that are pressing you down in your personal life, in your marriage, in your relationships, in the church, at work? He wants us to hear this message tonight that when we belong to God, when we are the favored people in Christ, because it's not that God looks upon us for who we are in ourselves. He looks upon us for who we are in Christ. And he sees a bride that he loves with his bowels yearning that they would trust him So going through the most difficult of circumstances, they may know with confidence and security and surety underneath are his everlasting arms. This is the security that belongs to believers in the New Testament. God is our refuge. You know, there are many companies today that are rising up in the area of security. How many emails you get to protect your bank account and and so many different ways in which we need to be secure because there's so many dangers. And the security promised here goes beyond all kinds of physical security. It, It enters into the very being of our hearts, the core of our being. When we are gods, he will ensure that under us, no matter how far it may seem to sink into the depths, underneath are the everlasting arms. Even when we cannot feel the arms of God beneath us, they are there. The Apostle Peter experienced this, didn't he? You remember in ministry of our Lord as they were going across the disciples in this ship and the storms were coming in upon the ship and Jesus comes walking on the water and Peter bids, bid me to come to walk. He did. So Peter gets up and he gets out of the boat. Children, you can't hardly imagine. He's just stepping on the water whose arm is underneath him, holding him up. It is this God's arms. Until when? Peter takes his eyes off of Christ, and he sees the waves boisterous, and he begins to sink. But Peter, being one of those for whom Christ died, finds our Lord reaching out and taking him by his hand. 
Whenever you feel like you have reached the depth and the bottom, isn't it that you experience as well underneath is our Father's arms? I suspect if I would talk to you after this this service and ask you what things the Lord, our Father, has brought you through, it's often in times of those very dark times and moments in our life when we thought we would perish, when we thought we would fall into the darkness, even of hell, there was our Father's arm. The everlasting arm will bear us up. I'm reminded of the story in Pilgrim's Progress when he and Hopeful have come to the end of their journey. And they're waiting to cross over the River Jordan into the celestial city. And you remember, they enter into this, this river of Jordan to, to, to die. It's a symbol of dying. And as Christian is going across, he becomes fearful that he will drown. And he, he says, I sink in deep waters. The billows go over my head. The waves go over me. That's the language of the psalmist. John Bunyan is trying to communicate. There are times in our lives when the waves seem to go over us and would seem to crush us. But here was a brother who stood beside him and said, Be of good cheer, my brother. I feel the bottom and it's good. That's what God wants us to do also with one another in a body of Christ. To be an encourager, a Barnabas, also to one another. Hopeful is able to sense even not by the eyes of sight, but by the eye of faith to see underneath were the everlasting arms. Do you remember what happened before they entered that Jordan? Maybe we need to go back and read Pilgrim's Progress again. But as they were standing on this side, waiting. They had asked the shining ones as they often would gaze toward that celestial city. And they looked over this Jordan and asked this question. If the water of Jordan were all of the same deepness, and maybe you'll be surprised at the answer the shining ones gave. They said, you will find it as deep or as shallow as you believe in the king of the place. And when we look toward the future, individually, as the church, as a nation, as a world, the depths may seem to be insurmountable, and we haven't come to the end of what's going to happen. And the question will be, will we be swallowed up and succumb and become fearful as the rest of this world will, or will we, with the confidence of Moses, say, underneath are the everlasting arms. We believe in the king of the place, our father who is in heaven. And that's true even to our last breath as it was for pilgrim and hopeful. Do you have this Security by faith to know with confidence and assurance and can say with Moses, there is no God like the God of Jeshua and our God who rides in the heavens and he comes to the sky and the earth. The eternal God is thy 
refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. Secure in the arms of our Father. Just the other day, I rode with my son and our granddaughter to, to a store. It was cold outside, and you know how they have all the buckling today and all these car seats. The kids can't wear their coats anymore. So we had to go from the car to quickly into the store, and I, I was sitting in the passenger seat. I quickly in my winter coat, and I picked up our little granddaughter and held her inside of my jacket and held her close, kept her warm from the cold, and took her in to, to the store. That's really the picture here. Oh, much more great. Here is the picture of God embracing his people with the everlasting arms. But as I was walking into the store, there's ice on the pavement. I'm thinking, if I slipped and fell, what's going to happen to my daughter, my granddaughter? You know, you can have the most elaborate security. I see you have cameras here in church too. You can have the most elaborate security in your business and at home. But you know, if somebody comes along and cuts the cable to the Wi-Fi or the service to this place, it's no longer any use. The security is only as good as it's sufficient to do its purpose. Moses is saying, underneath are the everlasting arms because it is Verse 27, the eternal God who is your refuge. No beginning, no end. The eternal God is the refuge of his people Israel who knew them before the creation of the world, who knows them to the end and taking them to glory. The same is true also for us today. The question then that comes to you is, Is the one, if you believe, and you make this confession, I believe in God, the Father, the creator of heavens and earth. I make that statement, and security is true. But is it sufficient for you now? That's the question. And the answer is yes, but do we live that way? How would our lives be transformed if what we confess to believe, we actually practiced in our living. Would not the world itself see how differently we live with this confidence in him who is our father in heaven? Imagine if you're walking near the edge of a cliff and you and your loved one, if your wife or husband or child, and you're walking next to this cliff, you're hiking in the mountains, and suddenly they slip over the edge and you're hanging on. Do you just simply gently hold their hand? No, you grip it tightly, and even if it would happen, you would be pulled over with them because you love them so much. This is the everlasting arm out of whom we can never fall. Why not? What happened in the garden? What happened at the cross? There is the one who came in our likeness. You know, we should have these everlasting arms raised in justice to destroy us. That's what you deserve. That's what I deserve. But this everlasting arm, Zechariah says, wielded the sword that was lifted up against the shepherd. 
There on the cross, Jesus was sinking into depths you and I will never know. He had not only the ravages of wicked men laid upon him and the stripes he received and the beating of the crown on his head and the nailing home of the nails into his hands and his feet. But there on the cross was the absence, if you will, of his father's favor and blessing and the eternal wrath of God laid upon him for sin. The everlasting arms were nowhere to be seen. He took the place plumbed the depth to the very bottom so that whatever depth you or I may happen to come to in his fatherly providence, we will be buoyed from and lifted out of because our Lord has paved the way. Our Father in heaven, in his eternal love to his gesture and his Dearly beloved people, does not fluctuate, does not change. And underneath the eternal God's everlasting arms will carry us through. This is a sufficiency that no one here could ever say. But you don't know. What my temptation is, you don't know. What my struggle is, you don't know. What I'm going through, you don't know the depths to which I have gone. This is the eternal God who says, underneath are the everlasting arms. And if by faith we can glimpse this truth and rest in this knowledge... We have hope and confidence in whatever we encounter in the circumstances of our life. Again, I say, if I meet you at the end of the service, whatever circumstance, if you are in Christ, you have encountered, it is his arm that was underneath you, ultimately that kept you, preserved you, and brought you to this place today. There is a sufficiency in the everlasting arms that cannot be exhausted. I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul, who said, He who freely has given us all things, even his son unto death, how will he not now with him freely give us all things? And do we imagine then that whatever circumstance our Father's hand allows to come in our life, whether it's because of a sin and he chastises us or because he wants us to trust in him all the more and his fatherly hand, he allows circumstances to unfold, whatever it might be, he is demonstrating to us, my arm is sufficient for you. Answer this question. What is underneath, underneath? Nothing. His arm is underneath whatever circumstance, whatever difficulty, whatever trial, whatever temptation you encounter underneath are the everlasting arms. It is sufficient 
for whatever your trial, whatever your circumstance, whatever your need. Our God is sufficient. You know, if we believe this to be true, there is such a sweetness, uh, such a sense of gratitude and thankfulness and joy that ought to fill our hearts. Notice where Moses goes after he has laid out this truth of the security of being in the everlasting arms and it's the eternal God. It is sufficient for whatever our need. He is telling us Israel shall dwell in safety alone. Then he goes on verse 29. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, O people saved by the Lord. This world, this perishing world, this hopeless world ought to look upon the church today in the 21st century and be jealous of the confidence and the security and the sufficiency of our Father's arm. But if they see us complaining and bitter and whatever our circumstances might be in life, why would they ever believe what we profess to believe? There is a sweetness here that Moses points us to and the church and the children of Israel. When we depend upon God, when we rest in him in all of the circumstances of our life and we see him going before us, it always isn't by the eye that we have of our senses that we can see this happening. But often looking back, we have 20-20 vision. God helped me. God provided. God did this. God changed that. He held me in his hand. And it does not mean we will never falter and stumble and fall. You need to read the Psalms. You need to read Romans 7 only to find out that we in ourselves, when we look at ourselves, we're no different than Peter walking on the waves at times, but then sinking into the depths. But underneath are the everlasting arms. That does not change. And if we would believe this by faith and trust in our fatherly our Father's care, how we ought to be filled with sweetness and gratitude and thankfulness. I used to teach science in high school, and children, you might know also that when you uh, put a ruler, if you take a beaker of water and you fill it half full and you put a, a straight ruler into that water, what happens? you got two mediums, the water and the air. And when you look at it from the side, it looks like the ruler that was once straight is now crooked. How often aren't we looking at the circumstances of our life, seeing something that's crooked? But God, in his rule for our life and for the life of the church, is a straight rule. He knows what he's planned. He knows his purpose. He knows his goal. And he will accomplish it. It is a straight line, if you will. We see crookedness because we're looking through by the eyes of our circumstances and not the eyes of faith. The problem is we are often looking from a temporal and fleshly point of view and not from our father's perspective and believing that he has all things in his hand. 
Jeremiah Day, the Puritan, said, The longer I live, the more faith I have in providence. It's my father's hand, providence. And the less faith I have in my interpretation of providence. How don't we do that? We say, oh, this was a providential happening. Oh, wow, God must be in favor and he must be blessing my way. This wonderful thing happened today. And then if something difficult happens, oh, God must be against me. My father isn't giving me any favor. I'm experiencing difficulty and trial and everything's against me. That's our interpretation. But often... When we look back and when we see the Lord's hand sanctifying us through the trial, causing us to see perhaps hidden sin within ourselves that need to be repented of and further clinging by faith in the midst of this trial, he's refining us to bring us forth like gold. Like Jeshurun. His peculiar upright people. Oh, what sweetness ought to fill our hearts when we realize that his hand of protection is over us. Our lives are filled with perils. We don't know when we drive out of this parking lot, let alone the larger scheme of our life, what's going to happen. But if we may surrender And we may labor as looking to our Father's hand, knowing that underneath there is everlasting arms, we have nothing to fear. Temptations are on every hand. Now, if you're giving in to temptations and following the lusts of your flesh, your Father's hand, if you're in Christ, may be set against you till you repent. That is true. But it's a fatherly hand, not to destroy you. Often we've said that to our children. When something would happen and it was discovered, they were looking at stuff on the internet or doing this or the other thing, and we would find out and we'd call them into my study and we would ask them, tell me why you're here. What are we going to talk about? I want to know. Eventually it would come out and we would point out, we're not here to destroy you. We're not here to make your life miserable. But if you had continued in this sin and we wouldn't have known it as a parent, how could we ever have corrected you and given you guidance? Consider this to be God's fatherly hand. When you look at the troubles you're experiencing in personal life or in families or in church life, it's not to destroy you. It's to preserve you and sanctify you and to present you Holy, because it's arm of affection. A mother embraces her child, you know, when uh, we as children are afraid and we are scared. And where's the first thing we go to, to our mom or to our dad for protection? We ought in the same way, whenever we feel alarmed, whenever we feel disturbed in our hearts and our spirits, we ought to flee for refuge to the everlasting God, to the eternal God, our Father in heaven, because he has an arm of strength sufficient for our every need. His arm shall endure through every trial we experience. I want to close with this illustration 
Napoleon, the great emperor of France, was sitting on his horse one day, and he was looking over some papers, and he had dropped the bridle of his horse, and at the same time dropped a couple of papers that startled the horse, and the horse reared up and was ready to throw Napoleon to the ground and perhaps stomp him or hurt or injure or even kill him. And a young corporal stepped forward and, said, and risked his life and reached up and grabbed the bridle and pulled the animal down and calmed him. And Napoleon saluted the corporal and said, Thank you, Captain. Without a pause, the young man said, Captain of what company, sir? Napoleon responded, Captain of my guard. The young man immediately turned about face, walked across the field to the emperor's staff, tearing off his corporal's stripes as he went, and he stepped in among the higher officers. And one asked him, What are you doing? He said, I'm captain of the guard now. Another asked, by whose order? Unflinching, the young man said, by the emperor's order. We make a confession. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. He makes a statement, there is none like unto the God of Jeshurun, The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. Will we go forth like this corporal, like this captain, and lay hold upon the words of our Father as he did, trusting them to be secure and sufficient for our every need? Let's pray. Almighty God, our everlasting Father, we come tonight into your presence. We confess our sin, our failures of looking so often to ourselves and our own circumstances, our difficulties and trials, and we often are fearful and do not rest in thy fatherly care and forgive us. But even as we hear this evening of thy truth, may we find in our Lord Jesus Christ a place of refuge and safety and cleansing even from this sin, so that we may with all the sweetness that is found in your promises throughout the scriptures, also even expansively for the New Testament church, that we would rest in these things and be transformed and changed by thy fatherly hand into what we are called to be. Go before this congregation, each individual, and do bless them richly. Remember our nation and our, our, our world. Lord, give thy church to be the Jeshurun she's called to be, a light upon the hill, the salt of the earth, that the sweetness we taste may be also given to others, that they may glorify our Father in heaven. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.